Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We always appreciate being included as a part of your day and what a day it is shaping up to be. There continues to be big questions in the geo geopolitical economy as we look at the global bank stocks, regional bank stocks. They're still riling the markets. We'll talk to Garrett Toy about how that could be impacting the commodity trade in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with Jim Baer. He serves as the president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Those producers are looking ahead. They had a challenging year in 2022, recently completed the trip to D.C. He's going to tell us what he talked with the White House about for Apple producers. And then in segment three, Jackie Fatka of AgriPulse will be joining us. There's more than just U.S. Apple's trip to Washington, D.C. There's been a lot happening in that uh, city as we prepare for the farm bill. Jack, you'll bring us up to speed. And finally, we're going to close today taking a look at some changes to the supply chain. Earlier this week, a merger was allowed, or excuse me, approved between Canadian Pacific Railway and Kansas City Southern. And Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition has the details. He'll bring us up to speed at the end of the show. But let's dive into markets here to start the day. We're seeing some mixed trade in the commodities. Corn and wheat are higher. Beans a little lower to start the morning. Morning, Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Garrett, watching this corn market yesterday into today, we've seen what looks from an outsider's perspective like a big reversal in attitudes down big yesterday, turn that around, and now we're powering higher today. What's driving this corn market here? Well, there's a lot of things that are influencing the trade right now. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we've had the big liquidation of the money market long in the corn market over the last three, four weeks. Um, they drove the prices down to a level that uh, we, we, we found that the, the Chinese found value. Uh, we had uh, over when they had another flash sale of, of corn to, uh, to China this morning, not as big. It was only 191,000 tons. Uh, but then we had that 641 yesterday, and then what uh, uh, another uh, 667 the day before. So I mean, they've bought you know almost two million metric ton of corn over the last four days. And this is what China can do when they when they get fired up. But uh, at the same time, as you mentioned on your on your introduction, is that this, these banking concerns are a lingering a aspect. I think that's really. Uh, influencing trade in crude. I mean, we've got crude down to $66 here today. Um, you know, for the last four months, crude has been a $70 to $80 ticket item. So obviously, you know, this, this banking concern is, is pressuring crude. With that being said, um, you know, if you're a producer out here looking at, uh, you know, having to lock in some energy needs, and if you don't believe that the economy is, the economy is on the brink of collapse, it might behoove you to, uh, you know, locking in, locking in some, some energy coverage here short term. Uh, if you do think the, 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 the economy is going to collapse, then obviously maybe be a little bit more patient here. But um, with this banking issues out here, um, you know, that's at, it's basically impacted everything but you know, kind of the grains because we've got this Chinese demand under the market. I mean, I think um, it's impacting livestock. I mean, we had hogs down limit yesterday. We're down again today. Um, you know, we do have a cattle on feed this afternoon, but it seems like the market's fairly well entrenched in this technical potential pop from the week 10 days ago uh, on, the, on the heels of a lackluster cash trade last week. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. There's a lot of uh, flack in the air. I mean, you would think that with a war in Ukraine that that would be a, a big function of it, but I don't think it really is. I just think that uh, right now we're, um, you know, we had a huge transfer of ownership from the money market long into the commercial and, uh, and especially the Chinese, and uh, that should, uh, you know, stop the, the downside here in the corn market near term. Garrett, we you mentioned the Chinese stepping in in a big way this week. We saw it in the corn market. We saw it, I believe, yesterday in the export sales for soybeans as well. My question to you is, with China stepping in in a big way, plus a big crop coming in beans in Brazil and potentially corn in Brazil, what's the risk that some of these purchases get canceled from the Chinese? Well, on these corn purchases, it seems unlikely. In fact, what I'm hearing 
if you look at the Chinese dallium prices uh, reflected versus these corn purchases, the dallium market is not really influenced at all. Um, and it's kind of an atypical purchase by the Chinese um, because you know the dallium corn prices typically when they buy dallium corn prices are on their highs. Well, they're they're not on their highs right now. So. Mainly the belief is on this corn purchases is that uh, this is Costco coming in, the, 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 this is the government buying corn for state reserves on anticipation that you know they announced this week increased subsidies for more bean acres. Uh, they're anticipating a, a smaller corn crop and that's what these purchases are. Um, now China still you know, is, has got to buy seed grains. I, I noted to clients yesterday, even on export sales, um, that we had marketing year highs of sorghum sales this this week, and you know 178 thousand of that was unknown, and 115 was to China. All that 178 is you know anybody that buys sorghum of that size is typically China. So not only um, are they buying corn, but this is potentially a canary in the coal mine here that you know they're buying sorghum and, and that they have more to buy. So um, that's a positive sign. You know they're. It's, they're hedging their bets in case of a production issue in the Brazilian safrina crop. I know that they are booking forward contracts there as well, but um, you know they're getting some near-term coverage just in case these late plantings come uh, to uh, uh, be an issue later in the year. All right, good to know there, Garrett. As we look at the commodity markets this morning, really the standout in the grains is the wheat market. We're looking at a couple of different classes of wheat that are really moving today. Did we get some news on the grain corridor over in Eastern Europe, or is this just technical buying? It looks like technical buying. I mean, U.S. US wheat is actually uh, a little bit cheaper than, than Russian wheat at the moment. Um, there still seems to be some job owning whether the grain corridor is going to be extended um, you know, 60 days, which the Russians prefer, or 120 days, which the Ukrainians prefer. Um, so that's still some uncertainty there. We got, uh, I think it's supposed to automatically renew tomorrow. Uh, but technically, I mean, I think it's technical buyers. The last two weeks, uh, we've seen buyers in May wheat below 680 levels. Technically, we're still an inside week. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really going to get to, you know, I think it's positive we can get a close above this uh, 697 level. That's the 200-day moving average on a weekly chart. And uh, you know, if we can get an outside week higher next week, maybe we can go back up to the bottom end of that old resistance up towards 750. But I think it's more, I think it's more uh, technical related trade here than, than anything. It's just, uh, I think the market anticipates, a, you know, we have a, the biggest short in, in, in wheat since uh, uh, 2020. And I think you're seeing a little bit of short covering there as well. All right, Garrett, as we look ahead to this next week, one of the big pieces of news that will be on traders' radars is the Federal Reserve announcement to raise interest rates or to not. And of course, we don't know what Chairman Powell is thinking, but Garrett, do you have a guess? What direction do you think uh, Chairman Powell is going to take next Wednesday? <laughs> uh, you know, I, that is gonna be, <laughs> that's a loaded question. That, uh, you know, we were looking for a half a point increase, uh, and now with these bank collapses, I mean, there's you know, the market's pricing a cut. So uh, it's, 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 it's going to be an interesting report, and that's going to be some volatility, I think. All right, Garrett. Well answered, sir. You handled that like a politician. Folks, we're talking to Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk, looking at the markets out there, and stay with us. When we return, we're going to pick up the conversation with Jim Baer, CEO and President of the U.S. Apple Association. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Over the past several years, nearly every commodity market has seen its uh, its underpinnings really thrown asunder between the three years of drought caused by that La Nina, between the impact of COVID and, of course, the ongoing policies and the trade disputes we've seen around the world over the past several years. Nearly everyone has been impacted. But one segment of American agriculture has really grappled with these issues, and they continue to fester today, and that's the apple producers. Recently, their board of directors took a trip to Washington, D.C. to raise these concerns with the White House. And joining us now for an update on that conversation is Jim Baer. He serves as president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. And Jim, thanks for joining us here today. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Well, not too bad at all, sir. Appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I'm curious about what the U.S. Apple board had on their minds when they went to Washington, D.C. Trade concerns are still top of mind for your producers, aren't they, Jim? Yeah, they really are, Mike, and I know that many listeners in the AOA audience, uh, whether, whatever commodity they're producing, they depend on exports, and we do the same. We, in a so-called typical year, we would export a third of our crop, which would be worth about a billion dollars, but we're at about 20-year lows in our, in our exports, and particularly India, which, uh, when you think about it, to ship a perishable commodity like an apple uh, by vessel, uh, on the ocean from Seattle to Mumbai, India is 8,000 miles. But when it gets there, not only is it still delicious, but it's still affordable. And that's, that's a miracle of modern agriculture as far as I'm concerned. But it was our number two market when the steel and aluminum tariffs were imposed, and they retaliated against U.S. apples. And, and the tariffs now on apples going into India are 70%. So that market, uh, which was a, a booming market, has disappeared for us and to rub salt in the wound it's been taken over by countries that aren't friendly to the u.s like iran and turkey 
in uh, in four years, that loss of that market has cost U.S. apple growers $500 million in sales. So that's that's a painful uh, pill to swallow for sure. That is a painful pill, Jim. And as we think about those steel and aluminum tariffs, do those stretch all the way back to 2018? Is that how long apple producers have been dealing with these uh, these restrictions from India? Yep, absolutely. It was uh, May of 2018, and in in, uh, in four years, it cost us half a billion dollars. And of course, once you lose the sale, you can never get it back, no matter how hard you work. And and we spent decades developing those markets, just like other commodities have done. And and uh, you know, now that we've lost it, we're going to have to go back to working super hard again to try to capture. But that'll be uh, that's going to be a lot of headwinds. Similar to situation in China, we had just gotten into that market, and with, within a couple of years, it had grown to be our number six market. That market's gone as well, and and we can't even ship to the EU because of their uh, crazy uh, restrictive pesticide residue rules. So we, we're locked out of a lot of markets right now, and we need to get back in there because uh, we're just like most of your AOA listeners, we're great at growing our product, and uh, we really don't need the government making things more difficult for us. And that's where we are today. Absolutely. So as the board was in D.C. earlier this week, Jim, I understand you had a chance to talk with folks at the U.S. Trade Representative's office. And uh, did they give you any insight? Are these tariffs here to stay, at least for the time being? They are. And I know there's been some success recently. I know pecan growers uh, were able to get those tariffs just within the last few days uh, removed uh, on India. and. You know, the one thing you can say about any negotiation, whether it's an uh, international trade deal or buying a tractor from your local dealer, it has to work for both parties or you're not going to you're not going to shake hands. And so I suspect that India needed the needed uh, the pecans. Um, we're not sure that they need the apples right now because, and, uh, because they've got other suppliers that have jumped in there. You know, we're not the only shop on the block. And unfortunately, those markets have have uh, disappeared for now but we were we were uh, pleased to have a a really open and uh, rigorous discussion with the white house staff uh, in the white house on wednesday morning our board of directors made it really clear that they're looking for the Biden administration to to uh, help out and fix some of these uh, problems which are really generating significant headwinds and i know you know anytime you look online or watch the evening news, people talk about food price inflation. Well, yeah, apple prices are up about 10% in the last year, but I know all of your listeners know it has happened to diesel fuel and fertilizer prices over that same period of time. So we're actually kind of going backwards. So we, we can't afford to lose these markets. So we made that point very clear. And then we also talked about ag labor, which I know is important to dairies and hog confinements and custom harvesters and other people. And, and uh, you know, I talk to family farmer growers every day who tell me they had to leave apples on the trees to rot because they couldn't get people to pick them. And that's a, that's a horrible situation for, for agriculture. So we're, you know, we're trying to fix the, the only visa program, the only legal means of using foreign-born workers, allows them to come into the U.S., harvest the nation's fruits and vegetables, and get paid and go back home. And that's that's the way it ought to work, and uh, it, it it works, but not very well right now. So we're trying to get that situation improved as well. And that has been a long slog working on these labor issues through the ag industry. Jim, you mentioned the the market struggles the apple industry has seen, and then of course we have had a massive drought covering a lot of the country. I'm curious about total apple production or or number of members. Is it an industry that's growing as 2023 gets started, or have these headwinds uh, put a pause on it? There's a lot of money being invested, and that you know I guess that's good news. Everybody likes to. To know that people are interested and attracted to their to their industry, but at the same time, it's pushing out you know some third and fourth generation uh, family farmer apple growers, and um, so it's uh, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of turmoil out there right now. But production is uh, is kind of flat, but our acreage is reducing. So uh, we think that's a a good story of sustainability to tell. Over the last 20 years, our uh, uh, area under production has decreased 17%, but during that time, our production has increased 8%. So we're producing more apples on fewer 
acres, and we think that's a good sustainability story to tell. Absolutely. That always helps uh, helps get those things moved. And Jim, as you think uh, back to the, the labor issue that continues to press, I understand that U.S. Apple, we spoke last year on the Farm Workforce Modernization Act here on the program. U.S. Apple was behind it. So were a number of those uh, ag organizations that do require lots of labor. Passed the House twice, couldn't get across the finish line. Do you anticipate the same type of bill coming up in this new Congress? Well, we're certainly going to be pushing for that, Mike, and if somebody's got a better plan, we'd love to see it. Um, it, it. It may not be perfect, but it needs to be a bipartisan bill. It has to have something for both parties. Uh, it would uh, cap wage increases, and you know, in some places we've had growers in this very state-by-state, state, we've had some growers who uh, their, their mandated wage rate has increased more than 20% a year. And they don't find that out until January. So you can imagine if you were a grower and you go see your banker in December and you want an operating loan and he says, what's your number one expense? And you say labor. And he says, what are you going to pay? And you say, I don't know. Well, who would loan money on those terms? And that's the, that's a real problem. But uh, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act would have capped wage increases at three and a quarter percent a year. Uh, it also would have included mandatory e-verify uh, for all those foreign-born workers. And for those workers that are here undoc undocumented currently, um, it would have at least been an opportunity to bring those people out of the shadows. They would have, it's not amnesty. They would have paid a significant fine. I think Bill said $1,000 uh, in back taxes. And it would not have resulted in citizenship. It just would have been a path toward a legal work status. And that's what we need in the you United know, I had a grower in town this week for these meetings and from a small rural community. And he said the McDonald's in his town is starting out at $22 an hour. Well, it's hard for agriculture wow. to compete with that. So, um, yeah. you know, the, the bill had something for everybody. Uh, it passed the House twice. We couldn't get it across the finish line in the Senate, but we're back at it again this year. It's, it's too important to, to not have it passed. It's a, it's a can't-fail mission. We need to get it done. Absolutely. And that is a call I have heard from so many folks throughout the ag industry. Jim, uh, while we're thinking, if we've got uh, listeners right now who are curious about the direction the Apple industry is going, of course, U.S. Apple is a great source for information. Can you tell our listeners how they can get more? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a lot of information on our, on our website. It's usapple.org. There's background papers there that are free for everybody. You can download them, use them, about pesticide residues and other kinds of topics. So uh, invite you to go there, poke around, see what's there and enjoy. Thanks. That's usapple.org. Folks, that's Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Jim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon. You bet. And folks, stick around. Jackie Fatka, associate editor at AgriPulse, will be joining us in just a second with another update from Washington, D.C. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we work into our Friday trade, we see fairly mixed action in the corn market right around unchanged with the wheat market showing a little bit of strength and the soy complex under some moderate pressure. Now we got updated CFTC data Thursday afternoon. That helped us uh, with a bit of a rebound in the overnight trade as we got caught up to the week ending March 7th. 
Now, the managed money added to shorts and wheat, liquidated more longs in corn. Managed money also added to longs in soybeans, and that long position of over 150,000 contracts makes soybeans most vulnerable for further liquidation, which it appears we're seeing a bit of here on the day Friday. Also, is African swine fever back in China? Well, reports seem to indicate that it is reemerging as it truly never left but it's re-emerging and possibly has mutated into something that's more difficult to contain with biosecurity measures. There are few official reports, and anecdotal reports seem to go from one extreme to the other, but there does seem to be an incidence or increase in incidence that could also be weighing on this soy complex here today. Our hog trade, that's been collapsing the last couple of days. Really no explanation there as to what is happening. It just seems technical trading, algorithm, computer trading, pushing things lower past stops. We see cattle and hogs both down moderately. Cattle probably squared up a little more ahead of this afternoon's cattle on feed report. Also in the headlines, Russia extended the grain initiative ahead of this weekend's expiration, but only for 60 days. The problem is the wording in the original initiative specifically states it must be extended with the same terms as was originally negotiated, which is 120 days. This sets up a conflict with shippers caught in the middle, so we're watching that. We're watching some more stock market risk-off worries and how that plays into the money flow into commodities here to round out the week. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, Washington, D.C. this time of year has a lot going on with Congress really in full swing. And one of the things under discussion a lot this coming year is going to be the Farm Bill 2023. Both the Senate and the House Ag Committees have been holding hearings over the past several weeks. Joining us now for an update on those hearings is Jackie Fatka. She serves as the associate editor over at AgriPulse. And Jackie, are we starting to see some battle lines over this 23 Farm Bill being drawn here in the House and Senate Ag Committees? Oh, always. And we are really, you know, getting into the the big battles, right? You know, every every farm bill, the last couple of farm bills, we've we've seen a real, I would say, fight a battle over work requirements for the nutrition program. Um, you know, a lot of talk last week at Commodity Classic about how the traditional safety net is not as effective as, as it needs to be. So a lot of requests for higher reference prices, but that also comes with a very high price tag. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of kind of lines are starting to get drawn in the sand. I would say on the nutrition side, you know, that's unfortunately kind of become a divisive Republican versus Democrat. And this week we saw a Republican proposal from Dusty Johnson out of South Dakota to actually extend the the restrictions on those able-bodied working adults without dependents and and you know just trying to encourage them to to do uh kind of jump through more hoops otherwise they're going to see their nutrition assistance taken away but on the flip side democrats are saying you know right now there's a three-month limit for every three years if you don't have uh, voluntary hours or you're trying to get a job or you're actually working 20 hours and and they're actually saying that you know we shouldn't have any of those work requirements this is nutrition assistance it's it's not something that they should 
have these stipulations. So that's a big one. And like I said, the reference prices, a lot of the commodity groups are still kind of trying to get their head around what they should request, how much it's going to cost. And we saw a letter out from over 400 ag groups this week, and, and their letter was asking for, quote, sufficient resources. So we're still determining what sufficient means. Yeah, that sufficient budgetary resources, that is a great political phrase that leaves a lot of ambiguity as to what that final number is going to work out to be. Jackie, I understand the House Ag Committee had a hearing on Thursday, I believe, and uh, Secretary Vilsack of USDA actually had a chance to address it. D- did you get a chance to listen in on that conversation? Yeah, you know, I think this this one in the House hearing, uh, another field hearing in Texas, you know, interestingly, the uh, Jody Arrington, who is uh, the House Budget Committee chairman, is from Texas, right? So we have a couple of kind of key members on the Republican side who are also from very important ag districts. So does that matter? Uh, we will see. You know, McCarthy from California is actually from a very strong agriculture district. He was out at a field hearing earlier this year. Um, so maybe that works in Ag's favor to have some Republicans who who are from these strong districts. Uh, Jody Arrington from Texas, very big cotton district. And um, and yes, Vilsack mentioned, Vilsack was before the Senate Ag Committee yesterday. So he was fielding some questions on, on how USDA is going to be working with Congress as they write this farm bill, offering technical assistance, and also defending some of the changes that this this USDA has made within the last couple of years since the passage of the last farm bill. Oh, interesting. He was coming under fire from some of the senators about uh, USDA's actions? Uh, you know, a, a big one, and this goes back to the nutrition title, one of the, the components that was included in the last farm bill was an update to what is called the Thrifty Food Plan, which is essentially the market basket of goods that helps calculate how much a family would receive for SNAP benefits. And uh, they actually increased it but the overall cost went up quite a bit. And this was something that was done outside of the budget, right? And so the Republicans have have brought USDA under fire for the fact that this was not budget neutral. Um, But Democrats on the other side said that they wrote this in the last farm bill, not with the idea of making it budget neutral, but instead making it more accurately reflect purchases and the cost of food and and making sure that those dollars that go to SNAP recipients actually can help buy what's needed and and cover the 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 costs that are needed to do that. So that was one thing. You know, another kind of interesting nuance yesterday with uh, Vilsack when he was before the Senate Ag Committee, uh, Senate Bozeman, who's the ranking member, the Republic leading Republican, uh, kind of came under fire from Vilsack for asking for technical assistance. And Vilsack said, well, don't send us on a on a, a hunt for different things. You know, ask what you want and we'll provide our technical assistance. And so, you know, you're already seeing a little bit of those um, just pointing of fingers and and maybe not the most cordial of, of actions going forward, because we all know there is bipartisan shared ideas on a lot of the farm bill, but on the other side of that, there are very distinctive lines between some of the Republicans' desires and some of the Democrat desires. There certainly are, Jackie. And this is a perennial issue, of course, with these farm bills. And I know in farm bills past, ordinarily, we get that call, split up nutrition and farm bill spending. Has that been made yet in this congressional cycle here with this farm bill? Or do we think that's coming or are we going to try to work it through as a full package this year? You know, I we're not hearing that yet. I mean, the Heritage Foundation is asking for that yet right now. But, you know, this has been since the 1970s. Uh, Senator Rob Dole and uh, George McGovern from South Dakota, Dole from Kansas, you know, both rural folks. But they recognize the 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 partnership that could come from farm and food policy together. Um, and, and I don't think we're ready to see that split. And honestly, with the small margins in the House of Republicans, you know, there's only a few extra votes. And so to get something across the House, they're going to need a bipartisan bill and the same in the Senate. We always know that there's going to have to be a, a bipartisan bill in the Senate because you have to get 60 votes there. So I don't think we're going to see a split. But there's always those threats. 
That's certainly true. It's uh, kind of what politics is known for, making some noise, Jackie. We've also seen, you mentioned USDA providing technical technical assistance rather to Congress as they're writing this farm bill. USDA is also going to be providing technical assistance to EPA, I understand, which is uh, which is a move that makes some folks kind of nervous. What's going on there? Yeah, so a lot of focus over at the EPA on how they approve pesticides through FIFRA and and also how it relates to endangered species and uh, making sure that you know whatever they approve that that doesn't negatively impact some of those endangered species. And so uh, you know I was at Commodity Classic last week and great great panel discussion there and you know I think farmers can find some comfort in knowing that Folks at USDA actually are listening to farmers, wanting to hear from farmers what works on the farm. Uh, You know, they're wanting their commodity groups and farmers to really provide insight on what practices they could implement to keep those those chemicals in place. And so one of the things that they're working on, because they have this ongoing litigation, they've got to be able to justify the science to, to allow producers to still produce. And so I think that's, you know, first off, EPA knows that these pesticides are important. And so they're trying to find ways and they're developing what they're calling uh, a pick list of conservation mitigation measures. And so that could be anything from cover cropping to contour buffing tri- strips to precision agriculture, but anything that they could utilize to reduce the drip or the runoff of those chemicals. And so they're they're working through all of these pesticides. They are kind of going at lightning speed because they are basically, if the if a court comes in and said you're not doing enough, they could a court could say, okay, we've got to stop that pesticide use. And so EPA is, is working alongside of USDA, working with commodity groups and in trying to get this work plan and some of these conservation pick lists, basically so that these pesticides can continue to be used. And, uh, you know, I've written stories over the years about how EPA is a dirty three letter word, right? Um, but I guess in this case, farmers can take comfort in knowing that they are listening. So, you know, work with your commodity groups as you are are thinking about different pesticides and how you use them. If you've got an endangered species, because, you know, that's the thing too, is sometimes there might be an endangered species in one part of the county, but not in the other. And they, you know, have to make restrictions across an entire county. We saw that with Enlist. So this is a great opportunity for, for farmers to really get their voice out there, help educate why and how their their actions are making a difference and that they really do care for the environment. And Jackie, you mentioned that's the EPA being sued by these environmental groups saying they need to take more action on pesticides. Is that a court case quite yet? Is EPA acting ahead of a deadline? Oh my goodness. So, I mean, there are so many, um, <laughs> there is a lot of ongoing litigation. And so basically last year, EPA came out and said, We've got a work plan. We are trying to get through, but they're only looking at like 5% of all the pesticides that could be under review. And and, and basically, if they actually, the litigation requires them to review over 50 different pesticides and it would take them until 2030 to do the, the normal timeline on this. So that's why they're trying to, to put some of these together create some um, common conservation measures that would work, you know, across the board on different things. But, you know, it's a lot of scientific review and EPA is actually really understaffed and doesn't have the the hours to do all that's required through FIFRA. And so they basically came out with this uh, work plan as uh, a solution to, to, to address these ongoing lawsuits, but at any time they could get sued. And so they're trying to make sure that they're putting their best foot forward so they don't have something drastic come down. Well, I'm glad to hear the EPA is working to keep these pesticides in use for those growers across this country, folks. That's Jackie Fatka. She's an associate editor over at AgriPulse. And Jackie, thanks so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Happy Friday. And stick around. Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition will join us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. 
Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel.
fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. You know, over the better part of the past year, one conversation topic that has come up time and time again has been the railroads. Last year, the question was about their service quality, service ability. There are questions about labor across the railroad system. And then this year, of course, we had the the devastating uh, train crash over in East Palestine, Ohio, really put the spotlight on that industry. And this week, we got more headlines from the world of Class 1 railroads. Joining us now for an update on this piece of information is Mike Steenhook. Mike serves as the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, keeps track of these changes in supply chains around the world. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's good to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. So we had a railroad merger announced. Mike, this was something that has been several years in the making. Can you tell us what was announced by the Surface Transportation Board earlier this week? Yeah, really two years ago, you know, this month, uh, we first heard the announcement that Canadian Pacific Railway was making an effort to acquire Kansas City Southern. And of the seven what are called Class 1 railroads, and that's a definition based on revenue. So if you hit this revenue threshold or higher, you're deemed to be a Class 1 railroad. Uh, Canadian Pacific is the sixth largest. Kansas City Southern is the seventh largest. So this would be a combination of the two. And this was, again, was announced a couple years ago, this intention. And you know, over the intervening two years, there was a lot of due diligence that had occurred. It was reviewed by the Surface Transportation Board, and that's the government agency that has jurisdiction over approving any kind of rail merger or acquisition. Well, finally, this week, the announcement was made by the Surface Transportation Board that they are allowing that acquisition to occur. So now you'll have these two railroads combined, and it'll now be called Canadian Pacific, Kansas City Southern. And so that's, uh, it's obviously something that's going to be really important to our industry. Um, there's people who are adamantly opposed to it, some who are supportive of it. And really, it's just going to be time will tell what ends up shaking out and whether it indeed will be a benefit to agriculture. We certainly hope it will. Absolutely. That would be a a big win if it does turn out to be an advantage for agriculture. Mike, and the reason I I think this is important from a soy perspective in particular is because of Kansas City Southern's trackage. Can you talk about how this current or this new rail network is going to look for CPKCS? Yeah, one of the things this will be really interesting is that for the first time you'll have single line service from Canada through the United States into Mexico. And one of the reasons why Kansas City Southern was, even though it was the smallest of the the class one railroads, one of the reasons why it was such an attractive acquisition target was because it has trackage into Mexico. So obviously for agriculture, the Mexican market is a really important market for soybeans and the entire agricultural community. So the prospect of being able to have more uh, accessible service into Mexico is indeed attractive, and particularly for a lot of these rail shippers, these agricultural rail shippers who may be located just exclusively on the the Canadian Pacific network. Now, all of a sudden, with linkage with the Kansas City Southern, you now have access into the South Central United States and arguably, more importantly, into Mexico. That's, That's why you do hear a number of agricultural shippers who are expressing optimism that it could be beneficial to them. But again, there's others who you know, are, are, are indeed concerned with any time you have a, a merger or an acquisition, it can result in a diminishment of service. It can result in higher rates. Uh, that's something we have witnessed in the past with railroad mergers. That, that is a reality. So uh, you know, I guess you know, the, the bottom line is we understand the two you know, perspectives on this. We're really wanting to ensure that what ends up getting enacted, what is provided moving forward, It's something that really does provide benefit to agriculture. Well, certainly, Mike. And as you think about the timeline for this acquisition, of course, the Surface Transportation Board announced approval today, but it's going to take some time to put all of these big pieces together. Does the industry have an expectation as to when this would be in full effect? Well, you know, it it becomes effective on uh, on April 14. Now, there is a period of time before then where people can continue to provide um, you know, voice their concerns to the Surface Transportation Board. But, you know, 
the fact is we over these last two years there has been a lot of perspectives that have been voiced to that agency whether supportive or in opposition to so uh, you know I, I really think that I, I anticipate that once April 14 happens you know the, the new railroad will be in uh, in effect and obviously there's going to be time where you know there where the dust will need to settle and you know where that is fully integrated into itself but um yeah we we expect that you know we'll see that new railroad operations in the very near future all right mike we did see as you mentioned a lot of opinions expressed to the surface transportation board about rail quality pretty broadly in 2022 how from your perspective is the rail industry doing are we starting to get uh, get things back in line with where they were maybe pre-pandemic as a quality standpoint we're, we're seeing some real progress. You know, the railroads are are hiring more and more personnel, and that's really been one of the big challenges that they've encountered is is getting that sufficient labor. So, you know, we do, I do continue to hear from shippers that it's better than it was over the last couple of years, but there's still room for improvement. And of course, you know, you'll still speak to individual shippers where, that are really struggling with rail service. So those those experiences are real. Um, so, again, I think we're on the right trajectory, but we still have room for improvement. On the right trajectory, but still room for improvement. Thoughts I've certainly heard as well, Mike, from folks uh, throughout the ag industry. Of course, uh, the Soy Transportation Coalition does a great job keeping up to speed on all of these changes in the world of supply chains, especially as they relate to agriculture. Can you tell our audience, Mike, where can they keep up with the work that you're doing at the coalition? Well, we can just encourage people to go to our website at soytransportation.org. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Keep up to speed on the pace of our movement of soy around the world. We've been speaking here with Mike Steenhook. He serves as the executive director there for the Soy Transportation Coalition. And Mike, thanks for joining us as always. Hey, thank you, Mike. Folks, tune in next time. We'll talk weather with John Baranek of DTN. We'll also dive into the markets and see how things have performed as we come out of the weekend. Thanks for listening to AOA, folks. We'll see you next time for more right here. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite.